0: What's up, Brandon Lewis? There we go. I can hear you now. I had to unmute you. I just bragged about myself figuring it out. And then I had you on mute.
1: Hey, I think you're doing a fantastic job. If I can hear you, that's the only thing that matters.
0: That's right. Look at you being you're affirming me, you're uplifting me. <laughs> hey, so real quick, I, I, you know, I've known you for a long time and I know you've been in a couple of different things, but you are a small business owner. And before we talk mm-hmm. about why you started the Tennessee Conservative News, I have a strange feeling that maybe where we spend quite a bit of our time. Let's talk about the small business stuff. What do you do for small businesses right now? Or what kind of small business do you own? How do you want to jump off on that topic?
1: So, Clint, I appreciate you having me here. I, I really like what you do. I've admired your marketing work for a long time. Um, I enjoy being in my little niche. It's, it's I do similar things to what you do in a way. It's just I'm in a super niche, which is repaint contractors and I worked at the Academy for Professional Painting Contractors. I've worked with about 450 plus painting contractors in six different English-speaking countries now, ranging from $50 million for standalone units to startups, and then national franchises, both at the individual and the corporate level. Uh, we have a, a national industry event, which ours was the second biggest in the industry, and this year it's the first biggest, because everybody else canceled theirs because of COVID, and I did not. And uh, so I've, I've worked in that space uh, for the past seven years after I sold my painting business uh, and when I finished running Congressman Desjolais' reelection campaign and sold mine. And uh, I've been a political hermit and focused on this exclusively for the past six, seven years uh, up until a few months ago.
0: Well, <clears throat> I have a question I was gonna ask you before we got off. I might as well jump on it now. I wish people could see my table because I'm very anal about looking organized, but I have like doctor's prescription that looks like written all around me. <laughs> One of the questions I was gonna ask you before we left at the end was I know we're talking about small business, but real quick, why have you never run? Because you've been you've you've run parallel to a lot of other people mm-hmm. running for office. Have you ever thought of running? Did you run?
1: I ran for office and lost, thank goodness, uh, when I was in college. I ran for city council and I lost by a handful of votes to a gentleman named Homer Bundrum. And you lose to a guy named Homer Bundrum, you've done something. Of course, yeah, I didn't know anything about you know, politics. I would go on to write a book about uh, certain elements of it, uh, fundraising, but I didn't know what I was doing. And if I'd done a little bit of opposition research, I would have discovered some things that probably would have allowed me to win that race, um, but thankfully the Lord had another plan for me, and that was to move to the scenic city. Because this is, I love this town. It's where they're going to plant me one day, and I met my lovely wife, and it's just a great place to run a family. And my biggest reason for starting this, you know, TennesseeConservativeNews.com, is to, to freaking keep it that way. Because I see a lot of trends that should concern small business owners and and concern citizens alike uh, inside Hamilton County and Chattanooga. Yeah. All right, so
0: but because I want to make sure I keep it flowing as you know as well as, as good as I can, stay on the small business side for one more second. Let's do it. Well, because I know you help small businesses, whether it's in a particular area or not, but you're a small business owner as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the part that's always intrigued me. I have I have a I have empathy for small business owners. I have I have owned businesses. I started my first business when I was 24. Uh, me and a partner started a commercial cleaning business. I quit my job with zero accounts. Two <laughs> weeks later, two weeks later we had 15. And when I sold my half to him, we had like 35, but I was 25 years old mm-hmm. uh, when I was in the middle of owning that. So I have an affinity for helping small businesses as well. But differently than you, I think I'm more, you're very focused. You're super focused person. Am I correct? I'm a little scattered.
1: I can get, um, once I get it in my mind that X is where I'm going, I don't care how long it takes me to get there. And so I, I tend to be when I, if you do any type of personality test, uh, I think my top three skills are goal attainment, organization, and a couple other things. And on the very bottom is like diplomacy, office politics, empathy. Uh, I have a lot of business empathy, but there are, there's a lot of empathy things. I, I'm really good at fixing a problem. I may not have any feelings about fixing that problem while I'm fixing it, but we'll get that problem fixed. And so, yeah, I, I would say that's probably accurate. That's probably do, accurate.
0: Do you Okay. So with that being said, what do you struggle with then as a business owner? Because I think you're pretty creative and I lean towards the creative side of things. And usually the the super focused goal oriented task oriented person doesn't pair up well with the creative side, but you are creative. So what do you, what do you not like about owning a small business or what do
1: you struggle with? I would say I struggle. I often struggle with hiring and managing people. And right now I've got just a a grand total of three employees, even though I work with hundreds of, of small businesses. I've set up a, a business that's one to many for the most part um, outside of my platinum clients where it doesn't matter if I have one person in the painter's purchasing group. If I have one person in digital, our digital services group or if I've got one person in our gold group, it's the same amount of work. So I'm very much a uh, they say that people either manage processes or they manage people. And I'm a lot better process manager than I am a people manager. The, my, I can bring my employees in here. John's on the other side of this wall here. They'd be like, well, that's damn right. This guy is terrible. I've got at a. Managing me.
0: My <laughs> first word that I had written down was processes, because I know that you are a process guy. Uh, we have, I don't know if you know him, but I think he's a mutual acquaintance. He's a friend of mine, Eric Buchanan. He's an yes. attorney. He is a process guy. I mean, he has built his business <clears throat> on continually looking at, evaluating, pulling apart, putting processes back together because I think, and I wish I had more of what you're good at in me because I have some successes in business and failures, but inside that process that I'm ignoring as a small business
1: owner is cash. Yeah, to cash. And that's, if you can think about it, for the most part, what I do now is I bring franchise grade systems to independent painting contractors. So if someone brings me a problem, uh, well, number one, there's some problems in business. You have your sales system, customer retention, customer reactivation, uh, B2B referral sources, going after commercial repaints, job costing, bonus programs, all the little bitty pieces that make a business run. They're just a bunch of systems knit together. I have created, I don't know, 30 or 40 business processes, kitted them up with videos, uh, templates instructions and checklists And like so, basically if you do this stuff you will get a positive outcome and uh, I'm, I'm not very good at coaching to the person as much as i am i'm, I'm a process person we're going to identify projects and next action items and if you do these things i promise you you'll get a good result you may not like me as we go through the process but eventually you'll love me because the results will be there
0: yeah i i am a uh big believer on systems is only as good as the user. So and here's sure. what I mean. I, when I was doing, uh, I had a connect marketing for about eight years. And so I had companies from time to time that would hire me to come in and do some sales consulting, or they said, listen, I just need somebody to sit in a room and brainstorm with me. And I said, sure. <clears throat> they would pay me to come sit. And I found that people would build these big systems. And I'm not going to mention any names. There's a, there's a, a local company. I'm still good friends with them but we had a really hard conversation cause they were building this big dynamic system, this process, but none of his people, it had so many bells and whistles that his people were checking out. They were like, I, I, I don't need, I don't need nine notifications. I don't need 17 tabs. I need three tabs that do these five things. And I told them that they didn't like my response. So I was only in the room for, you know, two or three days, but what happened is they found out the hard way. So, do you run into that a lot? A lot of times people overcomplicate the, the process.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. The the overcomplicating the process, overthinking the process is rampant in small business. The the way I look at it is this: something beats nothing every time it's tried. Something beats nothing every time it's tried. And when I will look at at, at small businesses, I will see that these fundamental business systems are missing. And then we'll go to plug in something that I've created from scratch. And invariably, <clears throat> my dumb painters make three times as much as my smart painters because my, d- uh, my smart painters are trying to figure out 15 different ways it won't work. They're trying to put their own little spin on it. Meanwhile, the dumb painter's already cashed the check. He's working on his next job. He's moving on to the next system. So often what people need is to shave off about 20 IQ points and to just get it done. So eighty percent perfect, one hundred percent finished. And if you get a if you get a chance to circle back, we can be a, we can be efficient by all means. But let's first be effective, and getting to effectiveness is is the first stop. I did a video, a
0: little solo podcast a while back, and I've said it more than once. I think the hardest people to help sometimes are those that are successful, and that's also why I've said that the to me the most dangerous thing when you become successful is success. Because we start coaching, you almost have, to have such an, a humble, you have to have such a, a humble spirit. Your ego has to be in check. If I hire Brandon Lewis to come in and say, "Yeah, you got to do it like this. This is my suggestions. Yeah. I've made, you know, my company makes $9 million a year. I've got 14 employees. I know what I'm doing. Well then do it, but they don't, a lot of times people don't like being told what to do.
1: No, they don't. And uh, luckily I am, to make a very sexist comment, uh, I'm in a ninety seven point three percent male dominated industry. and and there and most of them, uh, I grew up very poor, and uh, from a very hell, we didn't even have a collar. I would say we we're a blue collar. I don't know if we we didn't even have a skill. My family didn't have a skill to be blue collar hardly, <clears throat> and uh, like a trade. We didn't even have a skill that was as good as a trade. and so, they're they're a little rough around the edges, and so am I. So it works great with my personality for the most part. I don't think I could take that my same coaching style and make that work in a in another place. But men, for the most part, if you can if you can show them this is missing, this is not here, and you can explain to them practically why this is broken, most of the time they'll come around. Uh, I have not been as successful in 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 instances that require a lot of affirmation and emotional feelings ask my wife um i have no i have no emotional intelligence to speak of
0: you're struggling just to tell me how unemotionally intelligent yeah. you are you're I like i can't even articulate it i just i'm just not am I?
1: <laughs> i'm not set up like that but my <laughs> but you know my wife is and so when i run into situations i'm like let me use the half. let me use my when you became to become one flesh and your brain changes. And then when I've got an issue that requires some sensitivity, I bring it to my wife and my wife explains to me how I should think about that situation and consider it. And then it, it helps me inform my decisions. I told somebody a long time ago, they had a habit
0: of sending an email. And what do you think about this idea? I don't like it. Do this. Now in their world, the email was straight to the point. I like you, you like me, we're doing this. The person on the other end, it was inside the radio industry that I used to be in, you know, a while back. Yeah. The person on the other end would be like, I think I made them mad. look at that response. I'd be like, that's who they are. So I just went to him and said, look, just say, Hey, this is my these are my thoughts, or thank you at the end. Just little bitty things. Soften
1: it up. <laughs>
0: soften it up.
1: Soften it up. I mean, I've I've had a you know. If you're trying to get things done. I, I'm a, a very much a, uh, project next, next action, step goal attainment. And that, that soft stuff I can, I can miss the mark on a little bit. Do you, so do you, are you a
0: rigid process? I know you teach processes to other people, but are you the practice what I preach or you just
1: preach it? I mean, do you live I by process? What I preach to the, to a large degree? Cause I have to, um, a lot of my, my business runs in a kind of a recurring schedule on an annual basis. There are deliverables, things that I have to get out the door. Uh, I've, I've settled into a, a sequence of campaigns and live events and enrollment periods and launches. And so there's a lot of stuff that if, if I don't have it, if it's not automated, if it's not process driven, if there's not if we don't do it the same way every time, either I can't serve as many people or I can't Charge what I charge to make that happen. So I've tried very hard to, to give people a lot of value that's affordable uh, for our industry. That if, if I were trying to, to do this, you know, customized for every people, there's no way I could help 135 painting contractors in coaching and several dozen in digital at the same time. I'd, there, I'd have to hire too many people. So yeah, I try to stick with it, but I fall off the horse like everybody else. And I get a little lazy in the summer because it gets real slow around here. And so I, I play a little hooky. But then winter, yeah, winter I get I get my comeuppance because it's well, all busy. If you're sitting here t-
0: listening to this or d- now or down the road and you hear the word processes a lot or a task-oriented, projects, next step, it's easy to think they're – you say you're not empathetic, you, know, you don't have empathy, but I think people show empathy in different ways. Some people do it by, come here. Let me hug you. Yeah. And other people do it by what you're doing. You do have a there is a I hate to use this word with you now, but you do have a soft spot for business owners. Like you were I, saying,
1: I do. And I'll give you a perfect example that makes me uncomfortable. And this is kind of a weird <laughs> thing to share, I guess. <clears throat> One of our members named Keith Zafrin wrote a book about how to be a good dad, no matter what type of dad you had. I may be missing a word there. And I'm reading it on the plane, and he's going to speak at one of our events. And I read this all of a sudden. I'm like, I don't have any issues with my dad. I don't have any issues with my dad. I don't have any issues with my dad. And then I realized, that growing up, until I was about 13 and moved in with him, uh, I'd never received a positive word of praise my entire childhood. Like I just started thinking back, and so some at some point in my mind, I determined I just didn't need it. And if I, I just I just get all of my gratification from what I thought about what I did. And so now when we have events and things and people talk about how their businesses have completely changed and their lives have changed. They've gone from barely making it to buying their dream home and sending their kids to private schools when they were in bad school districts. And they tearfully tell everybody how how big of a difference our programs make. It makes my right now my armpits are sweating. I mean, I get uncomfortable. I don't like it. And I, I've never even listened to one of my I shouldn't say this. I've rarely listened to more than about 10 seconds of a video testimony. I collect them, yeah, but I have them transcribed. And I have Jennifer put them together because it makes me uncomfortable. I almost have to walk out of the room. And so I feel like the way I help people is by fixing things. And that's one way <laughs> I think Donald Trump, because you know, we we'll don't probably get into some politics here yeah. later, he's one of those people where he is not the best in at, at vocalizing how he cares about people. His thing is like, if I fix their problems, they'll like me. And that's true for some and not for others.
0: But but also, you know, there's this book called The Five Love Languages that I've mm-hmm. read a bunch of times. I also believe that's true at work. Good I think book. every Everybody has different love languages at work too. They like, I've said this a hundred times. If you're a sales manager, most of the time your salespeople will be motivated by money, but it's not what it's not the money, it's what the money either represents or can get them. But very few people are strictly motivated by money alone. And it seems like what you're doing for small business owners is your way of wrapping your arms around them, saying, I've been poor, I've been a struggling business owner, I'm not going to hug and you know, and kiss on your neck and tell you that you're awesome, but I'm going to give you some stuff where you can go hug and kiss on somebody else's neck
1: and exactly. take with your family. Well, and it also, it, it's a lot different when I see them in person and I can joke around. Often I'm on the phone and I've got 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes to get a whole lot of stuff done. And if I spend 20 minutes of that, you know, petting the dog and talking about the bowling trophy and all the things we do, you know, in person or over the phone, it's just going to end up wasting a lot of their time. So, I mean, I pretty, their,
0: their time, their, their money is valuable. They're paying. Yeah, for I, I've gotten a
1: little bit better at my words of affirmation because I realized that that's important to my wife. And I, I just don't have, I never saw it growing up. And so and I never practiced it that much. Uh, but I've gotten as I've gotten older and a little bit more sentimental. And you you really it becomes clear what's really important and who's really important. Uh, as I've gotten older, I think I have done a better job of expressing that to people.
0: Well, and when people get off, this one thing I've learned, uh, because we have you and I have different delivery styles, I think it's important when people get off the phone to realize they've gotten some good feedback, they've got something that they can put in action and go make some changes on, but they also want to feel good. And feeling good doesn't mean you got to tell them they're great, but they just got to feel it was a good use of their time and feel positive because yeah. they are spending money with you. And and, exactly. I, and and eventually you want them to spend money with you again.
1: Exactly. So, And I I try to do that. And I guess when I wrap calls up when we get there, I always tell something like this, listen, you've got nothing but a world of opportunity in front of you. And I say there have been people that have recovered from drug addictions who are technologically illiterate and then in their late 60s or 70s that turned their painting business around the last three years before retirement. You can't do anything about the past, but you've got every skill that you need to succeed. And I know you can do it. I give them encouragement, I don't, but I'm not the, it's something I could brush. You
0: just gave life encouragement there, man. You just take painting out of it. And that's what you just told everybody. You just,
1: well, you're a life coach. Well, that's, you know, that's a reason I hate all this victimhood culture crap that floats around, whether it's in business or in politics, because if someone sat down in front of you and they had a bunch of problems, you would never in a million years say, you know what, buddy? You just can't make it. You know what? It's somebody else's fault. You know what? If, if somebody in Washington does something, you might have a chance. You know what? You know, everywhere you go, somebody's trying to put you down. Hell, even if it was true and it's not, you wouldn't do that to somebody unless you were trying to plant the seeds of failure in their mind. It, You know, not only unless, unless not that's part work, of
0: your process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it that just doesn't work. I mean, people have to know that if they do A, B, C, and D, they've got a hell of a good chance at success. And I believe everyone does.
0: So before we jump off on this topic, uh, you, you alluded to it. You grew up poor. Where did you grow up at? What part of the country? I grew up,
1: um, I went to Arab High School. That's spelled Arab, pronounced Arab, in Alabama, uh, at a place at the foot of the mountain in Gunnersville called Dog Holler. Uh, and it's because people would drop their damn dogs off and it's a bunch of ramshackle trailers dad couldn't read or write he had clubfoot uh, facial deformities he was the last of about 13 kids and uh one old red one uh, old sink in the kitchen we had one sink in the kitchen it belched out red well water for like five minutes and it got clear and you brush your teeth shave everything in the kitchen and and it was just unpainted waferboard ceilings. The place had burnt down and dad got a hold of it and kind of packed, put some paneling over the burnt stuff. And, and that's about as far as we got. And it stayed like that. And he passed on when I was 19. And um, so, I mean, that's just... And then before then, I lived in a little single wide trailer on the side of the state road. My mom worked most of the time and I was more or less raised um, by my grandparents next door. And um, so, I mean, that's, you know, we were just... The trash, trash growing
0: up. So how did that translate? Did you know kind of in your teenage years, this cycle, I'm going to break out of this, I'm going to own my own business, or did that come later on in life?
1: I got lucky uh, with a couple of things, Um, mainly men and women who would not tolerate my behavior and my self-doubt they just wouldn't have any of it uh whether it was whipping my little butt in school every other day and i got paddled every other day um if it coach you know coach flack um uh dr garrett i started training martial arts when i was seven in seventh grade and he was an ex scout sniper marine trainer at paris island he had to be a veterinarian and uh he took me under his wing and i started working there so really a lot of what I would refer to, my dad was a good a good uh, father, He, but he was like a, an older roommate. He was in his 60s. Yeah, And he, he just, I'm going to New Orleans with Tommy. All right, son, tell me when you're coming back. I was 13. I mean, I was like a feral cat and he just let me go do whatever. I mean, I, I never did anything too awful bad. And uh, then I went to school. I fell in with some good people, some good kids. And um, they were all going to college and I never think about college and then all of a sudden I, you know, I started applying for scholarships and i took the act seven or eight times and went from like a 26 to a 32. you can learn how to take that test wow and, um, by the way a 26
0: just, is not bad
1: <laughs> yeah but I, I mean just kept going and finally i got that 32 and that's what paid for a faculty scholarship at jacksonville state and i had a couple friends going and away i went
0: um did, what kind of martial arts did you take?
1: I did Hopkido and Akiyamaru Jiu Jitsu. Uh, one of the big things that came down the pike uh, was this was when UFC first came out and the Gracie's were whipping everybody. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, so, but that was before you could strike. Is that right? No, you could strike. There was something missing. There's something different about it. Was there any leg kicks? Yeah, you could do. I think you could do most of it, but it. It just didn't seem as they. I, I don't know if you can wear your gi now, or even if people would want to. They
0: were wearing their gi back when the Gracies were
1: in it. though. Yes, they would. They you, just wear, you just wear whatever you wanted to in there, which they used to choke people out, which is why they wore it. Yeah. Uh, but the, you know, it was neat, and uh, but that was back. I can remember uh, when I did uh, grappling when it first came out. There were two weight divisions. There was 165 and down, and 165 and up. And that was it. And I weighed like 125 pounds. I weigh like 137 now. Wow. And uh, so the only way I could win a match was I was in really good shape and it would take me 45 minutes. And I would get in there and I would just ride the clock out until they got sweaty and they made a mistake. And I could do a rear choke, a guillotine or an arm bar. And that was it. So it was too little to do anything else. And that's the only way I could win. Do you still do you still train? I, I go to the sports barn. Uh, I do high intensity interval training. I go to another place in Ringgold, our house uh, yeah, I'm so good I'm not, Our so House I'm,
0: studios with Christy. Yeah.
1: Yes. Christy. Very nice lady. I like that facility. I love the sports barn, uh, Dawn. And then, and uh, what my wife trains with uh, Carolyn down there. Mm-hmm. I love, I love the gym, man. I, and I'm going to shut up uh, after I say this, the gym was the first place I ever went in my life where there wasn't drama where there wasn't bullying, where there wasn't um, all the crap that's in school. Yeah, And it was just peaceful and I got to exercise and everybody was nice. And so ever since then, I have been a gym rat, not like the, you know, the the big bulky kind or whatever, but at any rate, I've gone to the gym my entire life. I love it. It's one of my favorite pastimes.
0: I've been a gym rat myself. I ran a gym for a couple of years. And the thing I love about the gym is what you just said. It's your space. Even when you're there with other people, and if you want to compete with other people, you can. Yeah. But a lot of times, it's just I did this last time. What can I do this time? Type of mentality that I think is very beneficial to people. My son uh, is 20. He'll be all. He's almost 22. But he a uh, year and a half ago he went and played rugby because I played when I was younger, mm-hmm. and then he got into the gym. He's lost like 60 pounds. He's loving it, and he wow, was always awesome. in the gym. I mean, he's, he was a good athlete. But he wanted to look different and feel different, and so the gym can free your mind as well as your body. And so I'm glad to see you doing it. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a guy that trains down at Christie's, uh, Chris, Big Chris, with a giant beard, does boxing. He goes down there every now
1: and then. I uh, have seen. I think I've seen that guy down there boxing. Well, he and I, I spar. He comes to the gym.
0: I went and boxed in the three years ago the World Ringside Masters Tournament out in Kansas City. And he and I sparred to get ready for that, me, him, and my cousin. And uh, and he got me kind of ready to go to Kansas City and fight in that tournament. And I was 50. I just turned 50, which was fun. I mean, you know, 50, you don't think you're going to be challenged. Yeah. And it was fun, you know. So I, never, I
1: didn't do the I, you grappling. Know, I keep going. I'm thinking I want to do it. But I've got two young girls. And, man, by the time you do your work, at uh-huh. work and by the time you go home, and you get in the gym and then you want to see a couple of your old buddies. And I've got a ton of friends. I mean, I've, I'm about to go two weekends to a cabin. And I'll have 15 of our my best guy friends. It's just guys. And by the time you keep up with your relationships and do everything else, I'd love to, to go do MMA or something again. But I'm just I don't have the time. Yeah. And I'm probably as little as I am. Shit, I'd have to wrestle the kids. And I don't want to, have to do that. <clears throat>
0: You know. no, I, I wrestled my son. He is six foot, about six foot one, and he weighed 260, and now he weighs about 195. And But we would wrestle all the time, and I, I got the best of him. But towards the end, he didn't know this. Okay. And then we're going to talk politics. Everybody, hold on. <laughs> but he, he didn't know this. But we would be wrestling, and I would get him in a spot, and I could feel how strong he is country strong. He's yeah. the kind of guy that you look at and go, he looks strong. Yeah, I mean, not because he's muscles, even though he is muscular. Yeah, but he didn't know this. I would have him in a move, and I would be given literally one hundred percent. I had nothing else to give. He would be given like eighty. I could tell, and he would be like, "I just can't beat you, Dad." I'm like, "That's true, yeah. man." And I keep thinking, "Thank God he did not try." Oh my God, he would, he would have hurt me so bad right there. Uh, well, that's why
1: I've got girls, so hopefully, hopefully, I can still win.
0: Yeah, my girls, my daughter's 16. She could totally take me to now. I'm just, I'll just, I've got guns for that and a dog. I'll just, (laughs) that's what I do at this point. So, you're this busy guy. You're a small business owner. You help small businesses. You've got a great family. You've got all of this story that you're developing. And then, because you have nothing else but all this free time, you decided to start a news outlet.
1: Why in the world did you start a news outlet? You know, in the last debate, I think Donald Trump said something very interesting to Joe Biden, and it was this. I ran because of you, Joe. Mm-hmm. I ran because of you. And I feel like I've started this organiz- this, this news organization because of it. And it all originated with the lockdowns. I led that protest on the Market Street Bridge, uh, the, the one that we had here, the lockdown protest, the first one that, that was held in Chattanooga. I'm sitting in my office watching all this stuff unfold. And like everyone else, first couple of weeks, you're like, well, we, yeah, this might be serious. And then as the data comes in, you're like, well, does that look that serious. And as the data continue to come in, hell, it's done nothing but tell the same story for the last eight months, more or less. I'm like, we are losing our religious freedoms. They've shut down churches, but they'll, you, you can't go to church on Easter Sunday because of Mayor Burke's ordinance. But by golly, you can go to Walmart. You, I mean, you can't go worship Jesus Christ, but you can go get a hamburger through the drive-thru. You can't take communion. And um, and, and I've watched my, my friends' businesses and my members' businesses get close. To almost all of my friends uh, that will be at the cabin, I'd say, are probably like 80% self-employed. And you watch the damage that's being done and how quickly people roll over and give up their liberties. And I was just like, hey, What? So I did that protest because some people contacted me and it was not organized very well. And I thought if this thing fails and no one shows up, these bureaucrats will think that no one cares about their freedom in Chattanooga. And so we got to have a decent showing. And we had a good showing. We had about 150 to 200 people show up on the bridge, hundreds of cars. I don't know if you know how hard it is to get conservatives to a protest. Oh, yeah. It's really hard and to do it in the middle of a pandemic when all this social pressure and shaming is around is even harder. But I got out of that. And then I thought to myself and I hate protests. I don't go to protests. I felt so uncomfortable being there. It's not how I have ever participated in the political process. And I I said, I got to do something. And I didn't know what to really do. And uh, to back up, and then I'll I'll finish this point, I led the, uh, the fight against the property tax 10 years ago. And a lot of people don't remember that. And we got it down from like 30 something million to $10 million. And what it taught me is that if you don't proactively follow stories, and if you don't start covering them and talking to people about them in their infancy, by the time they get halfway developed, you might as well call them done. Yeah. And that's what happens in this town. Things get started that are not good for our community. Uh, They rock along and then they become just part of it. And then we have to live with it forever. And so the 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 real reason I started the paper, I think, was this. You got a bunch of people on the bridge, right? We are all we want is our jobs and our churches and our freedoms back. That's it. We're not asking for anything special. We just want what's ours, according to the Constitution. And the coverage we got was so negative in the local media. And then a few weeks later, and one of the best examples is one of the reporters at the Times Free Press wrote about how reporters were so noble and they wear masks and all of us, you know, jacklegs are out there, mouth breathers on the bridge. And he didn't wear a mask at the protest. He didn't report that because they're hypocrites. And um, then the Black Lives Matter um, (coughs) stuff kicks off. They topple statues. They break windows. They graffiti things. They're disrespectful to the police. Glowing coverage. And this is local. You don't have to go to CNN for all this stuff to be shown. And so I thought somebody's got to cover this stuff fairly and ask a few conservative questions.
0: So do you cover it or do you have people covered or do you take articles and curate them? How does that work?
1: Right now, we are doing uh, one state story, one national story, and one local story. Uh, We do curate, uh, not all, but some of the state and local or state and national things from an organization called the Center Square, which is like a conservative alternative to the Associated Press. If you look at most of the publications around here, they're just full of things in the Associated Press and, buddy, it is. (laughs) I mean, you read these articles about, for example, Amy Coney Barrett here recently. And they're all mad because she served on a Christian school that didn't want openly gay instructors, mm-hmm. and and it read in their their own interpretation of the Bible. I'm very tolerant of however anybody wants to read their life, but if you if you follow it and you read it, like there ain't a lot of ways to interpret it. It's not like it's in between the lines. It's pretty plain. And if you're going to practice your faith according to the text, I mean, it, but they they try to paint her as if something awful's going on. But at any rate the center square, and then we're covering a lot of uh, local stuff on our own because that's really the things that get overlooked. For example, we're about to have this article come out uh, tomorrow about panhandling and litter and trash. I saw
0: I saw one of your posts on that.
1: Yeah, and I'm just like, when did Chattanooga go from being the <clears throat> scenic city that is aligned to being clean and beautiful and around tourism, and now they don't cut the grass, they don't pick up the trash, and there are homeless people. I can see three to six panhandlers on my way to my house every
0: day. Well, I wanted to say this real quick. I want to throw some big concepts out there because yeah, by I, I think, well, I think it's important. I think first of all, you brought up the Amy Coney Barrett in um, the school she worked at. If, if I'm not mistaken, it's a private school. It's a private school. Okay. So to me, that kind of stuff, if you want to talk about her beliefs, to me, once you become in the public, uh, the public uh, sphere, I'm okay with talking about what you believe. I think that's important. And you ought to be able to tell us why you believe it and all that. But when you're talking about what they believe at a private school, that's a private school. That's Mm -hmm. that's on the school. I'm not saying it has to live up to your standards. But the other thing that has really frustrated me and has really I don't think it'll it'll uh not going to change anybody the hypocrisy that you just pointed out though is so on both sides and here's what i mean here's what i'm saying i was on a podcast two weeks ago we have gotten to a point and i said this and, and it was a little pushback with monica we have gotten to a point now to where if i criticize donald trump i voted for donald trump but if i criticize donald trump if if i don't agree that everything he says in his rhetoric is good I get eaten up by people that agree with me on most everything. In other words, team politics is killing us. Donald Trump is not going to be around forever. Our leaders are not supposed to be these magical heroes. We're not supposed to give them the loyalty that we give the belief system behind the party that we support. In other words, I wish the Democrats, and I've said this a bunch, I wish the Democrats would spend as much time holding their people to the same standards as they hold the Republicans to. And I wish Republicans would do the same. If we would keep our own house in order, then when I start having a conversation with somebody on the other side of the aisle, there's mutual trust there because we both know Mm -hmm. I don't agree with everything Donald Trump says, but I agree with him enough to support the movement. I know you don't agree with everything Joe Biden says, but if you tell me that because I support Trump or because someone supports Biden, that you have to agree with everything they say forever, that's just not common sense.
1: No, I agree. And I think
0: we're missing that.
1: I've got a long list of stuff I don't like about Donald Trump. He spends too much money. All of them do. The Republicans do. I mean, we used to have conversations in this country about the deficit and about debt spending. We hadn't had that conversation eight, four, Twelve years. Yep. In any type of significant way, I can't remember the last time when, we re- when it was really an issue. It, it, the deficit spending hasn't even come up as a campaign issue. Um, I, I wish he had a better personality. I mean, if that's that that's all kind of stuff. I I don't like a lot of this. Um, I don't think we need to be doling out. I don't th- when lumber prices are triple. And this happens in a lot of a lot of sectors right now because they are paying people so much to sit at home. They can't get folks to come back to the mill. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. I mean, who would have ever thought that if you gave people more money to sit at home than to work, that they might choose to sit at home? Well, by golly, I would. Absolutely. Somebody write me a big enough check. I would leave here. I mean, how long is it going to last? I mean, well, I think
0: it also started bothering me a little bit when people were saying, if you don't believe in the Black Lives Matter organization, then you're the problem. I have tons of black I'm the white guy that says I got black friends. I when I got married, I had nine groomsmen. Well, four of them were African American or black guys. We've known each yeah. other for 30 and 40 years. They're not white or black, they're buddies. They're friends. Yeah, exactly. So, what bothered me was I should be able to say of course black lives matter. Of course the lives of black people matter, but oh, yeah. I don't like the organization at all because until recently when they changed their website, I've got screenshots of it, they supported a Marxist mindset. Yeah. And so it's okay to that's what I guess what I wrote down here when you were talking. It's almost we've come into a world where it's it's
1: either or and it's it's not. Well the, the thing that they do that they're real good at and this is just leftism 101 you 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 demoralize people, you demonize people, you silence speech. And the way you do that is you give people and a, a take it or leave it extreme position to accept. And if you differ with it in any way They will shame you in social circles. They will threaten your employment. They will try to boycott your sponsors. And it takes someone who is comfortable in their own skin and very comfortable in their views. Like, for example, the Tennessee Conservative News. Um, I told my wife when we started this. I almost thought about writing a book, how How to Become a Racist in 30 Days or Less, because I assume when we start covering the issues of homelessness, when we start covering the issues of public housing, when we start covering the issues locally of inner city violence, you will have to talk about matters of race openly and people will not like it. And and I think the Lord blessed me um, in some ways in that I have never worried about what anyone else thought except for my close friends and family. And if it means that, that we can make if it means that somebody has to come after me because we have a candid, factual conversation about a very touchy issue, fine. You know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And then, meanwhile, everybody else can kind of nod silently and go, yes. And then maybe over time, they'll actually, you know, st- stick their head up out of their hiding hole and say something. So, yeah, they put you in mm-hmm. these positions that are, that you that they set the rules of engagement and you can't possibly win.
0: You can't and, accept the premise of their conversation a lot of times. No, you time. can't
1: accept <clears> the <throat> premise of the conversation. Yeah. That's what gets us in trouble.
0: And that's what I said to, uh, to, to Monica and some other folks in the past. I think the one thing that changes everything is relationships. And what I mean by that is if you, were, I, if you see people posting stuff and you think it offends you, like if you vote for this person, you everybody is this. Well, if you voted for that person and I'm a friend with you, then all of a sudden you think I'm that, but I know you. I've had lunch with you. You know that that's not who I am, and I don't think that's who you are. Mm -hmm. And once you actually know somebody, um, I think it's hard to consider them either if they're black that you think they're like that, or if they're white, you think they're like this. So I, I encourage people to have conversations that are not so public. I mean, I don't mind having this conversation or statistics, but go have the hard conversations with a friend of yours. That comes from a different perspective. The other thing that I think conservatives could do better is something that is a little touchy. I think conservatives have done a decent job and they've gotten better at it, but is listening and acknowledging the fact that everybody's America is different on how they were raised. You grew up in a different yeah. America, Brandon, than I did. Yeah. Way different. I mean, we were not separated by thousands of miles or continents, dude. But if I were to stop your story when you were 19 and my story when I was 19, it would look like we were two separate families. I mean, yeah. and we were, but I mean, different different and i think sometimes as conservatives we forget to listen to people and acknowledge that that the life that this person's living is different than mine and that's okay yeah we are we're
1: <clears throat> myself included are terrible storytellers and it, it's listening and being able to to talk in a way that that people relate to and nothing's more powerful than a story even if it's not true and i mean that's a lot of stories have been told over the years that have led to a lot of harm. Words, you know, words have, you know, words are definitely more dangerous than weapons because that has to happen first. And um, so it, it I agree. Conservatives and, I, and I'm going to try to do the best I can at, at this point. Uh, with this organization. But it's that's something I'm going to probably need some help and some coaching.
0: On. But I think, though, I think that comes on individuals. And I wasn't saying that to, to charge your organization with it. I just think. No, and it's,
1: but it's true. I mean, I a, see it. I see it all over. And uh, when you're a problem solver and you, you come at it from that direction, you can really it's, it's sometimes it's hard to even understand what somebody's trying to tell you. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, talking about the just simple stuff like homelessness issues, which I'm afraid that we are becoming a regional magnet. I mean, you have, you lay out a hammock and you advertise it and you get a bunch of organizations promoting it. People will come to the best place to do that. And we're like, how does this happen? I'm like, well, we kind of know. Yeah. But at any rate, people are like, well, have you talked to these people? Have you listened to their story? Have you, have you walked down there and fed them lunch? I'm like, I am not equipped to do that. I, I would not be good at that. And I would after about 10 minutes, the conversation would probably turn into me drafting up a plan on a piece of notebook paper that they could follow to get their life together, which is probably not going to help them and ain't going to help me and they're not going to do anything with it. But that would be the only way I would know to practically help, which probably wouldn't get anywhere. Right. And but that's not but people look at that as like how awful that you think that that this is any type of issue at all. And I, I have a hard time processing it.
0: But see, to me, though, that's exactly what America's great at. We take what you're good at, along with somebody who is good at feeding. See, I think we forget we had the same goals. And I'm not talking about me and you just yeah. as Americans. We want less people to be homeless. We want mental health to have a solution or some sort of help, a resource. We want the best for people. If we start with that premise and reverse engineer it, that's when we find out, well, Brandon's good at this and Sally's good at this and Clint's good at this. Let's go at the problem with our skill sets. But instead we start saying, oh, because Brandon doesn't see the problem the way I see it, he's a racist and he hates homeless people, or he's a racist and he hates this, or he's a sexist or, you know, xenophobe, whatever, you know, yeah. insert label here. <clears throat> and, you know, I think homelessness and it's a different topic is a lot to do with mental health, which is I think that's uh you know, that's a, that's a bigger, bigger story. Um, I will say just one more thing about race, because I don't get to have these deep conversations too much. I'm usually uh, talking about other stuff. <laughs> I, well, I think though, if you're a white person sitting out there and you feel, if I say something out loud, how uncomfortable it is because I don't want to get lumped in as a racist, yeah. even though I think sometimes we feel we can't talk about policy. That's what I disagree with people on is policy, not, It has nothing to do with about
1: race. I agree, and yeah, I'm right. I was just
0: going to say, I also think if you're white, you need to understand there are black people out there that are watching the riots and they're watching people say that's that's all. Everybody believes if you're black, you believe and support that. That's not true. Just like all white people don't support this, all black people don't support that. Everybody is different, but the good people get silenced. Black, 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 and white.
1: We get quiet. What we do in. A lot of this is just if your ideas are bad, the easiest thing you can do is make everybody quiet and make everybody feel uncomfortable. Yep. And while there, there's some of that going on on the right, uh, it's predominantly the, the silencing, the censoring, the um, the shaming primarily comes from the left. I mean, there there's certain issues that people do it on the right and uh, you can't have a conversation about anything anymore unless you accept the premise. You got to go into it accepting the premise. And if you don't accept the premise, uh, then they can't even have a conversation. And what? And the problem is, for the African-American community, in my opinion, the premise is wrong. The premise is completely wrong. I don't think there's anything systemically racist keeping people back. You got issues like I grew up without a father in the home till I was 13. That crap's <clears> no fun, especially if you're in a low-income environment. And when you you know, you know grow up and you never see a father-mother relationship that's healthy, I did not see a healthy father-mother relationship that wasn't a divorced couple that hated each other's guts until I was 22 or three. And it changed. I'm like, what are these two people doing in this house? They're drinking a glass of wine. They're talking to each other. They're like, they enjoy each other's company. But I've never seen that my entire life. And those sorts of things, those are really important things. There's four or five others that I think are essential. School choice is another one. And those are things that are practical that you can actually do that would help people. But this th- this whole you know notion of, you know, pump the room full of it's somebody else's fault and negativism. I don't see that how that helps anybody improve their life.
0: Well, <clears throat> the, I think the, the real danger of telling everybody to shut up if they don't agree with you is you limit, first of all, you limit the conversation. So how are people supposed to change their minds and grow? Right? Yeah. If I'm afraid to say what's on my mind, how am I supposed to talk to Brandon and him say something that I go, well, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. How, if I can't say, if I can't say what's really in my heart, how are we supposed to label the real problems? Cause there's real racist out there and I want to know who they are. Yeah. So I can then alienate myself and kind of go, okay, that is a very racist thing. Exactly. When everything is racist, then
1: nothing is racist because it gets lost in the weeds. Well, the the problem is now whenever I hear the term. I just immediately my gut instinct every time I hear about a hate crime or every time I hear about racist issues, when I hear about it with a hate crime, the first thing I think is this is staged in the hoax because it's like 80 some odd it, people have done studies. It's like 80 to 90 percent of it's just bullcrap. And it goes on forever until it's discovered that it's bull crap, And then the press cycle immediately ends and they're on to the next hoax. Uh, when I hear people say racism all the time, I'm like, Gosh, it's just it's just tiresome. And and it's so rarely true that. I don't know if I would reckon I don't know if I if I would ever even stop to listen to a true racist story unless it was just patently obvious, because I'm always thinking th- there's a this is just an this is just uh, they're grinding an axe and they're using this as the as the front part of it. So you got a whole probably about 50 to 40 percent of the nation that every time they hear that before long, they're going to have to come up with another word because it doesn't mean what they use in the context they use it anymore
0: well and and it does a disservice to the real racist problems out there it does it it, it it there's there's people out there that are really affected by racism and those that's losing the attention and the support that it should have and uh you know i'm also um not only do i want to have the conversation so i can i can grow and we can have that dialogue and we can point out the real problems but also if we start shutting ideas down about one thing then we're going to shut ideas down about another thing and then it truly is 1984 again. Yeah, I mean not again, but it's 1984. The book. It's where yeah. you just have to agree with whoever's in charge. And and I think right mm-hmm. now it makes me sad because um, it just makes me sad. I, I I get very frustrated when we bring up topics of uh, especially race because race now is the it's the tag for everything. And if I were to disagree on policy, and I can tell you how it's not. If you if people out there don't want to know what I mean is there's plenty of policies that Condoleezza Rice support or, uh, uh David West support, or Alan West supports or Colin Howell supports. You pick out the the African-American person. They have a lot of the same views that I do. Mm-hmm. And guess what? They have some views that I'll probably disagree with them on, but it's based off the policy. And yes. I just, I think we miss that conversation, man. And I think we lose it. I hope the paper, I hope the outlet you're doing, um, I cannot wait to read more of it because yeah. I think it's going to be news.
1: Is it all opinionated or is it going to be? more? no. no. I mean, we, we primarily, the, the thing we try to do, which people never do is we try to ask the questions that the liberal press will never ask. Like what? For, for example, <clears throat> if you look at all of the local coverage about the pandemic, it's all about, case counts and who's in the hospital and who's going to die and who's not wearing a mask, they don't run articles about mental health. They don't run articles about depression. They don't run articles about uh, screenings that are missed, that develop into cancer, that people die. They don't. I've had a couple of friends have relatives pass away because they couldn't get elective surgeries that later turned into issues that manifest into other problems that cause death. And you have stuff like that that's happening. They never talk about um, religious freedom. I mean, I've not read an article about about religious freedom and shutting down the churches or uh, First Amendment rights as it associated, you know, the right to gather and things. All that stuff is just, they act like the rights are just, it's beside the point and it's about what's the scariest thing, what will keep us safe, when most conservatives are really worried about what will keep us free. Viruses will come and go um, as long as we are alive. But the if the freedoms get eroded and if the freedoms are, are finally if the freedoms are finally demolished, those puppies start, are very unlikely to come back. And my biggest yeah, and they run is us is to that.
0: places, you know, and they run people to the media. In other words, if you want to go find out anything other than what the mass media is saying, you've got to go to these these little side news article or these uh, yeah. news outlets like yours are. Even Fox is kind of a standalone. But then what happens is they start denigrating your source. Oh, that's a right wing source. Well, so the only
1: conservative, you got to ask conservative conservative questions. Like, example, uh, even just talking about homelessness, it's like a right wing position, because if you look at cities like um, San Francisco, Portland, uh, if you look at at places like um, um, Philadelphia, where. They've really just let the entire place go. Uh, They don't. They don't ever talk about the fact that those places have turned into cesspools because they've been so permissive with homelessness and uh, those types of things. I mean, you're not even allowed to talk about it or bring it up. Next thing you know, you're living in some crap whole country and uh, or city and you're not allowed to talk about it until it gets so bad. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, Joe Rogan can because he's so powerful. He doesn't care. So he just moves. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I hope well and you can move but the, the problem is eventually you run out of places to move to yeah um so i'm i'm gonna have to ask you to do something funny i'm gonna have to ask you to do a monologue um where do you get your news i'm gonna run into this next room and get my charger you may have to actually no edit you're, you're fine
0: no, go for it I'm i've done this did. before you're good
1: all right Two yeah, seconds.
0: I'll, I'll hide you and then i'll bring you back up no worries all man right. No, Brandon and I were we did not we did not talk about how specific uh, how long we were going to go, and so I'm probably keeping him longer than he anticipated. But to be honest with you, I don't get many conversations that get political like this that often, and it's on purpose. A lot of times, uh, you know, life there's so much politics everywhere that 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 has smarter people than Clint. Now Brandon's smarter than me, but smarter people than me involved, that I just kind of let that carry the the water on it. But I, I am frustrated because I have I've I have watched us start tearing ourselves apart as a country. And it's almost like we forget that we have friends that are white and black and different economic standards. And we just start talking in these big generalities And we're like, you know what? Um, And I I did pretty good right there, Brandon. So I'll finish that thought up. I'll finish that thought up. Uh, But we we talk in these big general things that if you support Biden, then this is who you all are all the time. And if you support Trump, when in reality – You and I, if you're watching this, not Brandon, but if you're watching this, you know damn well that there are people that you disagree with that are that are friends of yours and they don't wish you harm. They don't wish you ill. They would come running if you were in trouble and they wouldn't care if the person that they were having to fight against were white or black. They would be protecting their friend and they don't care if you're white or black. And I think we've forgotten that as Americans, that when the call comes in, I don't say what color are they and who they voted for. I've never seen that. Yeah. And it frustrates me that we talk to people in such a way now. And I think one of the reasons is nobody, a few people have just never been, first of all, spanked as a kid. Second, had to have the look me in the eye as your friend and call me the racist after we've known each other for 30 years. Yeah. Or you've never been smacked in the mouth. Now, with that being said, back to Brandon Lewis doing all the professional stuff. I feel like I got a little therapy there while you were getting your charger.
1: Well, that was good. Sorry, I, I thought this thing would, would last. I think I had it unplugged. I did a I did a, a screen share earlier today and I think I just forgot to plug this puppy back up. I probably kept you longer than you thought too. So oh, I no, I I'm enjoying it. I'm you're I'm on I'm on your time. This is fun. Um yeah, I agree. I just the in my heart of hearts, I'm just afraid. Number one, I feel that people's lives are better um, under the premises and the principles that our country was founded under. We did not get to be the best nation in the world because our ideas are awful. And if the our ideas are all that have allowed us to achieve this level of of unremark of remarkable success for people of every color and every sex, uh, but you know. Of course, we had some issues in our country's past. I'm not going to downplay that. Uh, and I'm not going to uh, sit here and kiss ass about it either. I hate when people spend like five minutes trying to talk about how awful everything we did ever was. Um, but it's like your friends. You know, you, you love your parents uh, because they, they did a remarkable. I mean, for most people, you, you love your parents or you love your friends because they're remarkable people and they've done remarkable for thing, things for you over your entire life. Have they always done the absolute best job possible? No. Do they have some flaws? Yeah. But if you threw away every relationship because it had a rough patch in the past or because it was imperfect, you wouldn't have any. And our country is not perfect, but it's, it's dang near as close as it can get, and it's getting better all the time. So I don't see where all this pessimism and anger comes from.
0: Well, people are, again, I think it comes from, here's what I think. I think some of that comes from a flaw as conservatives because we have not listened to people. We ignored a lot of times people saying, I didn't go. Some of that empathy that maybe you're not as good at, maybe somebody should have looked at him and go, you know what? There is a dump there. People grow up and have a different version of America. Mm-hmm. So how can we fix that? But you don't get there by by giving people everything or by giving in to them just because they feel a certain way. That's when we got to fall back on the processes and the systems and the tactical things we can do to fix lives. And I've said it to you before we came on. I think the United States, whether it was on purpose or accidental intervention from God, we put bumpers up when we formed this country. Yeah. And it was, it was built by people who racism was not their only sin and not all of them had the sin of racism. But there was... Sinful hearts and racism is a sin of the heart. Yeah. But we put these bumpers up on our country that allowed us to move forward, not in straight lines and perfect lines, but we fight with ourselves. We grapple with these big issues that are nuanced and and just dirty. And we fight and we wrestle with them. And the system that we put in place has allowed us to sometime we've taken giant steps forward and sometimes we've moved inches, inches, but we've yeah. moved. And it's because of those that framework that allows us now to look back on it and go, we are moving forward and throughout history. And I don't think we can just discount that.
1: No, that we had, they were geniuses when they set up the separation of powers, the way they did. Uh, Our system is specifically designed so that if the people are taken over by a bad idea and a passion, that it's very unlikely that it will go anywhere. And some of the worst things that have ever been enacted in our country's history have been when one party gets control of all levers of government. And um, I mean, you, you saw that when the Jim Crow South came in, that was pushed by Democrats. You saw that when when pe- you know when the Southern states seceded. You saw that um, you know multiple times throughout history. I mean, I think Obamacare is another example of something that that really did so much harm to so many people. And it was when all, you know, when all the power is in one uh, party's hand. Now, fortunately, that only lasts for two, you know, for two years. And you hope they can't get through much, uh, too much through before there's a chance to get the House or the Senate back. But um, I love checks and balances. People always complain uh, things aren't moving fast enough. And I'm always, uh, I don't want them to move at all. I mean, we're we've only we've worked very hard over the last 60 or 70 years to ruin the country. And it's only the checks and balances that have really allowed us to run it slower. And well, so I think I'm, it's up I'm to us
0: and I think it's up to us that we the people to, to guard the door and say ideas that get to pass through. Women to vote. Yeah, we should let that yeah. through. That's a great idea. Equal, equal rights for people, whether you're white, black, green, or yellow. Yeah, let's let that idea through. That's a good idea to let through. But I, I think we, we have this expectation of perfection. And again, I hate to use the word nuance, but there's so many moving parts to this that you're going to have bad ideas peek their head up. And it's our job to go, yes,
1: yes, no. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I, I hope that, and there's a lot of issues. I mean, civics education, um, the public school system, and letting the government run it has been a remarkable has been a remarkable manufacturer of terrible ideas um you know and also secondary education people go in there and they they learn how to hate the country they learn how to think that everything is somebody else's fault they get introduced in you know ideas like critical race theory and marxism and all its varieties and they come out after 13 plus four years of that and they've been told the world owes them something and then they get out and they can't get a job. And they're, they, they're saddled with one hundred twenty five thousand dollars in debt because nobody told them the truth. And now instead of looking at the educational system as being to blame, they look at the environment that they've settled in as being to blame. And so we've, we've got a lot of work to do in, in education, especially. So do you think that should that go back to the
0: thing. Do you think that should go back to the states? Because right now the way it works, the federal government gets involved; its tentacles, and they start giving you this thing called money to the states. Yeah. And as soon as you say, "Okay, but we don't want that that in our school system or that in in anything in our insert here," they go, "Okay, cool. We're going to take this big
1: chunk of money out of your budget." Yeah, and that and that's how they they bribe them. And I think that's why organizations like um, Hillsdale and a few others have been able to run without they just decided they weren't going to take federal money at all because they didn't want the strings that were attached to it. And um, which is, you know, bad for their students, because some of them are probably could stand Pell grants, et cetera. But a lot of that's funded through private money. But, um, you know, one thing I am passionate about like here in Chattanooga and we're going to cover school choice like crazy because, you know, when I worked at Miller and Mott technical college in the evenings, teaching various classes, people who had been in the Hamilton County school system for 30, years would come out of there and they could not write a sentence and punctuate it they could not write a starting sentence and three supporting paragraphs and here they are in a supposedly college environment I could not help them I mean I, I mean I couldn't help them and here they are and, and, and they're gonna go into the workforce without any skills and I'm not talking about work skills I'm talking about reading writing arithmetic not there 13 years and and we continue to pour more and more money into this program if you if if you talk to a teacher if you talk to a
0: teacher that's been teaching for 30 years but off screen when it's not live or public they will tell you that it's the the education has changed and i feel i personally feel bad for teachers and i'm not saying i feel bad for teachers in every aspect i'm not trying to make this you know a thing about all about teachers but teachers are in a system now that is that they're designed to test their testing skills on the students. Their job performance now is based on how well the kids take tests. And it's not really on their accumulation of... When I went to school, man, I had a teacher named Mr. Fraley, and he would man, that guy would keep me after school to work with me. He mm-hmm. would slow the class down to move at a different pace. He had some, cl- he would tell me this as I got older, some classes he would speed up, some classes he would slow down. And it was based off the grades of the kids learning what they needed to learn before they moved on. It wasn't this system that, Mr. Fraley, all your students have to fit into this circle or you're going to have a bad review.
1: I agree. Um, one thing I, w- I would love to see teachers do and, uh, teachers speak up about and I think the teachers union has done education of and teachers a huge disservice Um, I have empathy for the teachers but at the end of the day teachers are servants of the public Um, they do a a more important job uh, or or a more complicated job but it's no different than the person when you become a when you become an employee of the citizenry you should really be very, very concerned about the outcomes for the citizenry. And if, if you know that you're working at school and people are passing through and getting diplomas and they're functionally illiterate and in some cases actually illiterate, you would think if the concern was about the kids that there would be teacher led protests outside the school every day saying we're we are ruining people's lives as we are letting them pass through this system. But I don't ever see any of that. If, if we were really worried, I think, um, about the children, as we always claim we are, Right. If, if, if they can't get into a school, if they're being exposed to violence and bullying, if they can't read, write, do math, learn basic skills, <laughs> if they don't know anything about the country, if people really cared about the kids, you would think there would be like a 24-7 protest given the results for eleven to $12,000 a year that are expended. We don't see any of that. Which leads me to believe instead that in many cases, what we've done with the public education system is we've created a government job factory and we've created a lot of administrative positions and we've created a lot of teaching positions. But we have not created a lot of students that have the skills they need. And so. See that and me and you, this would be this is another.
0: podcast man because this is fun that comes from leadership and i'm not saying by our specific leader i mean in general you know this as well as i do a leader sets the expectations the problem if it is when you get into government there's really no it's almost this and it's so much ambiguity there's no real leader you can have a superintendent you can have a president but decisions are made in this big vacuum of voters and this big vacuum of committees and you know I've got a friend John Ballinger says it and so does Eric Buchanan, The the fourth branch of governments, the administrative branch that that really controls everything. All they of do. the and so I say all that to say until we, I think we the people, I always default to it's our fault. I default yes. to I'm not gonna blame the teacher because the teacher's in a system that we've allowed to get this way. They have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So does the administration, so does the superintendent. But at some point in time, they all get to turn back around to us and go, You guys built the system. You let us build this system. That's a that's not a good
1: system. Yeah, and I agree. And that and I think it's and a how do you fix that, right? It's a combination of local civic activism. For example, uh, you have organizations in this town like Unify Ed that are funded by outside left-wing sources, that are staffed by former Obama staff people that want to, you know, put in layers and layers of social justice workers inside the school system. And not only is it just, it's almost like a, a union job grab back in the old Russian proletariat, it's It's not only awful, and and we actually some of that got funded by local liberal people, and they should, frankly, in my opinion, be ashamed that they gave that institution a dollar. But um, it's why we aren't why there aren't headlines every day about student illiteracy shocks me. Why there aren't headlines every day about children that can't do math. That can't name the first handful of presidents. That don't understand how the branches of government works. That don't know what how to balance a, a checkbook. Don't know uh, any type of financial life skills. The fact that that's not the headline on the front of the Chattanooga Times Free Press every day until it's fixed amazes me. Meanwhile, we talk about all this petty, any bullcrap. Like, when are we going to build the next failing school? Where's the next failing school going to go? This failing school is in disrepair, while well, we need to build a new failing school over here. Now, but not see, all of them are that bad, but buddy, we've got. I live in an area where I can't even send my kids to the school district. Well, I do too. I send both of my kids to private. My kids to private school. Yeah, and, but see, and,
0: and but uh, and this is what I the, again. I go back to my what I was ranting a little bit when you were getting your charger. We're the ones that click the headlines. We're the ones that fall for the headlines that make sure that Clint Clint's affirmations. Have been sustained. I'm in this little echo chamber. So when I read something about how bad Biden is, I click on it. And when Sally or Tom reads something about how bad Trump is, they click on it. They go sell that for advertising dollars to keep it coming in. And so I have got to somehow break this cycle where I really want news. I don't, I, I really want to know the root causes of the problems. Right now, we don't even, you mentioned problems that most people would probably go, they say big things like, oh, the school system's broke, but they don't know what that means really, because it's not reported on. We don't click on that. No, we
1: don't. And and a lot of it is right now. If you look at local news, there's nothing to click on, on the other side, which is what we're trying to build here. Right. Nobody presents the other side, uh, I'll put it this way. For every time an article runs about the poor teachers and about the insufficient budget, that article, right, that that article and the and we need to start a new program. We need a new layer of administration. This this is the time, boys and girls. If we just raise taxes one more time, if we can just get three to four more percent, buddy, we're going to fix it this time. And um, for every time a story runs like that, maybe 19 times, you might get one story about, you know, 30 percent of third graders can read a grade level. You might get one of those because people don't. Like making the school system look bad because immediately everybody's got their grandma used to be a teacher, their sister used to be a teacher. Well, you I get labeled, and nobody wants to be labeled a bad person. I'm no, not talking no. about the people involved. We're talking about what you're good at, the systems that we've built. And systems. and So people want the stories don't even see the light of day for people to click on and choose uh, to begin with, and then you know. I had this conversation with a school board member
0: and it gets even more uncomfortable and we will not make you talk about it right now because I've already had you on way longer than I thought I would. But You wrap it up
1: whenever you want to, but there's no such thing as an uncomfortable question to
0: me. Well, I want to make a have an uncomfortable conversation at some point. Go back to the reason of why the third grader or the seventh grader is not really as proficient at school as they used to be. And why are we asking our school to raise our kids? It's because it doesn't start when they walk in the door. It starts at home. And we as a society think all things start. It all starts with Trump when he was elected. No, it all started with Obama. No, or it starts with the school or it starts with our church. No, it starts with us. Mm-hmm. And the reason that Johnny may not be able to read, write and care is because he's going to. And I know you came up like this. Yeah. But I work with a group called YCAP here in Chattanooga pretty closely. And they got kids that are going home with nobody there. The lights may or may not be on. Mom and dad may or may not be there. They don't know what they're going to eat tonight. They haven't had a shower in two days. And you want them to sit quiet and learn about diagramming a sentence. And my my problem I have with that is, unless we start acknowledging that the problem it actually is a cultural problem that has nothing to do with white, black, green, or yellow. It has to do with how we are going to raise our 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 society as a young families. Mm -hmm. then I don't know if we'll ever be able to
1: plug the holes in when they get to be 15. Does that make sense? Well, yeah. And I hear, I hear the, um, it starts at home argument more frequently than I hear almost anything else. That's always when you talk about the inadequacy of of the school system, um, it always, we always end up pretty quick back to the, what about the parents? Right. Well, the thing is the parents don't, take massive amounts of tax dollars and make promises on delivery. And there's no way in the world to manage how someone parents their their children, but there is a very direct and easy way to manage the uh, performance of a school system. And that can be changed, it can, it can be, it can be uh, critically evaluated, and resources can be through policy, can be changed. For example, school vouchers. I'm sorry, it, it's not that we've got this idea that the school systems, they it's their money, and it's the teachers' money, and it's the teachers' union money, and it's the Board of Education's money, and if you beg nice enough and if your situation is terrible enough, we might give you a little okay. bit of money or some kind of small little sliver of opportunity where you can escape this failing school system and send your kids somewhere else. Um, Nobody ever says, let's go eat at the government restaurant tonight. Nobody ever says, let's let's go down to the DMV. It's gonna be a real fun evening. Nobody ever says, let's go let's go down to the you know government anything. Look UPS and FedEx started for a reason. Yes, and exactly. I mean here, I mean it's a perfect example. They lose money at the post office, even though it's a monopoly, putting pieces of paper in boxes. Meanwhile, UPS and FedEx turn record profits doing the exact same thing or something very similar. They need to to push school choice because there's always this argument that the that the state knows more and cares more about the kids than the parents and that the kids are dumb <clears throat> or the parents are dumb and that what would they do with this money and we're the bureaucrat we're the you know we're the, the expert bureaucrats and we if you take money out of the failing school you hate the schools. No, we just need to give people an opportunity to try it i put it this way. People say, well, we don't know if school vouchers will work. Uh, I, I, I know we will. The market always finds a way to work. It's a beautiful thing about the American market. But here's what we do know. We do know what we're doing now sucks. That, like, we know. We've been doing it 40 years. Like, we can point at that and go, yep, that right there, exactly how we're doing it, does not work. We don't have to do another experiment. We've done 40 years of experiments. We've tinkered with it. We've put more money in it. We've hired layers of bureaucrats. Doesn't work. Meanwhile, if you, if you gave every uh, person $11,000 or even seven, somebody would throw up a general steel building within 100 feet of the church. They'd put those kids in there, and they would be reading at higher levels, and it would be costing less money, and it would happen within a handful of months. Because they would be focused on the on what the education system is supposed to be,
0: I think. and And I think you said earlier that conservatives sometimes are not the best, first at listening, the fact that people have different opinions, I think, but also telling stories. And I think the story there is, in order to break the cycle, you don't put things around people to to help insulate them with the cycle. So as the kid moves through the educational system, we put enough stuff around them to just let them manage the depravity, manage the problem as they go, and then we release them into the wild and never teach them that there's another way. I think the best way to teach people or to break a cycle is through education, not when you're having to go to college because not everybody's meant to go to college. Yeah. But when you're in first and second and third grade, really, 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 really focus on the basic fundamental
1: things. And at, that's how you break a cycle. Yeah, well, and take them out of it. I mean, take what's the worst that can happen. It can't be any worse than it is now. People are like, oh, what would happen? I'm like, well, look what's already. We know this is going to happen in this period. So, and and I'll give you a perfect example. We spend $6,000 a year to send our oldest, who is eight, to a private little Christian school. There's one principal. They're in three buildings. They have one lady that does some sort of administrative work there six grand a year it is a fantastic phenomenal experience there's not layers of bureaucracy the the kids can be disciplined if they need to um and people have to be you know you have to go through a process to say okay this is how we're going to teach your kids this is what we're going to teach them are you okay with that and if you're not okay with that you can go somewhere else yep and so people just need options like that you know i mean they used to teach you know 10 kids of various ages in a community in a log schoolhouse with a slate and a piece of chalk. And and they were only there for maybe three or four hours a day. And now we've got layers and layers of bureaucracy. People broken up by specific subjects. Well, our, the schools are the schools
0: now are daycare centers a lot of times because they they, are they get dropped centers. off at six thirty or seven thirty and they're not picked up till six or. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just saying the reality of it is school is not what school used to be. And some of that's okay, and some of it's not. But again, you got to be able to have these hard conversations uh, when you start doing your interviews more or your videos. Are you going to have people on? that may come from things with as a from a different perspective than you. So you can dialogue around it. Or are you going to bring people on and you be more of a journalist asking questions and it's they're presenting the new you're asking the journalistic questions?
1: I think most of our, a lot of our <clears throat> we're going to be following specific stories, but we're also going to be trying to, you know, in many ways, bring on guests that can educate people. Um, because a lot of folks just don't know. I mean, if you get if you go to the mainstream media for your news, you would think the 1619 project was a good thing. You'd think, oh, this just makes sense, it's good, but when it's explained to you, you're like, holy crap, what a steaming pile of horse crap this is. And if you look at critical race theory and you've people talk in these crazy circles about different oppression groups, intersectionality, and then when you actually learn about it for 15 or 20 minutes, you're like, this is completely unworkable for humans to have any dignity and for there to be any ideas that can ever be shared, this is an unworkable framework. I and will challenge things, your
0: people yeah. I will challenge the people that go to your site to approach that what you just said though with an open mind because yeah. it will be real easy in the world we live in to go up oh, that's 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 racist that's in this box. you've got to approach it with we're talking about the facts and the principles and the policies and we're that's I, I, I'm worried that you're going to start getting and I know you don't care
1: yeah and I, and, and the thing is I, I've learned this if nothing else from the left. Um, you have to unapologetically present your position um, because it, has seemed, it seems to me that um, the one thing I do admire about the left is they have a little agenda and they don't care if it's good for people or not. They they get it through. Now, that part I disagree with. Um, but if conservatives were as proactive and as courageous about, about presenting policy and frameworks that actually improve people's lives, as the left are at presenting things that don't, we would be a lot further off in this country because some things just don't work, and you you have to be careful not to give them a lot of quarter, uh, which people do. I mean, victimhood culture is like, well, let's let's talk, let's little listen to this. I'm like, no, this would be like somebody saying, today we're going to interview somebody about child pornography. Because there's kind of a there's a little bit of a. Some people are kind of like, well, maybe this is okay. What if it's consensual? and i could never do that i mean there's some things that are just like you, you can't you can't let the other viewpoint some ideas are bad some ideas are bad and some they can't ideas be, are uh, just,
0: some some things are not are not yeah. there's no redeeming qualities about them at all some No,
1: it's not yeah. and um and so i for a long time i think the bureaucracy has been given a lot of um Respect that it doesn't deserve. uh deserve. I think that the quote-unquote five thousand different groups of oppressed people have been given a lot of um, a lot, a lot of the oxygen in the room. But I tell you, who has not been represented very well over the last ten or twenty years? And that's just working taxpayers and property owners and small business owners. Those are the last people to ever. Nobody ever cares about what they think. Nobody ever gives them a voice. It, it's always about some pressed group. It's always about, about some kind of large organization full of some kind of whatever. But what about the people that are funding all this, that are quietly going about their lives, watching everything they like about the country go to crap? Could we maybe talk about what they need for a little while? And for some reason, that conversation is tabooed. <laughs> And I think we need to have it more often.
0: I agree with you. And the good thing about what you just said, and if people will really listen, what you just said, the hardworking people that go to work every day and pay the bill that had nothing to do with race. And that makes my heart happy.
1: That makes my heart happy. No. And it makes because I got all kinds of buddies that are weird and are different colors and come from different backgrounds. And I've never had an issue with race. I've almost got engaged to a, to a black girl dated her for, you know, I've, when it comes to that stuff, like, I don't care. I mean. Well, it has that, nothing to do. Yeah. It, again. It doesn't, that stuff doesn't matter to me. Now, at the same time, I'm not one of these people, like, I don't have a thousand black friends because I don't, I, I don't, I work in a little office here. I've got the same 13 friends I've had forever. I see two people when I come here. I go home. I go to church. I go to the gym. Like, I just don't have a very, a lot of people are like, you know, I've got a thousand. I don't have a very diverse lifestyle. I live in Brainerd. You know, I see, you know. But you know what it people,
0: is, though. People y'all walk, 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 walk. Yeah. But people will assign intention to you real fast and, and to people. We do that. And yeah. this culture we live now is I assign me the purity of heart because I know my intention. I judge you based off other criteria. So I yeah. will give myself all kinds of you know, leeway and slack and forgiveness. But you, sir, you just don't really measure up. Mm-hmm. And so we just assign intent without really knowing the intent. Again, it goes back to, are you disagreeing with me on policy and procedures? Or are you disagreeing with me on race? I personally want to be able to have that discussion so I can know who the real racists are and who the people that have some solutions to problems are, has no no idea what they look
1: like. So- I would, and to, to wrap up, I guess one, one big thing that I think that we will be talking about a lot of the Tennessee conservative news, and it really is my framework for almost everything that I think about, and that is this. If it would not work in my home, if it would not work in our extended family, if it would not work uh, in a small neighborhood, uh, and if I would not give the advice or recommendation to a friend, I can't ever support it as a policy. And so, in so many people's dealings in life, you would never give someone an excuse if they were on hard times to lay on your couch forever. You would never teach someone who had gone through a rough experience that they had no part in it, that their future was dark, and everything was based upon something somebody else did. If you wouldn't send, if, if, if a framework for a school or a government system or a way of getting things done wouldn't work in business, it's a good chance it won't work in government either. Uh, and so every time I look at a problem or I look at a situation, I look through it through the lens of what if the government didn't even exist? Would this work? Anywhere else, and so often we look at it and go, "No, that's unworkable. No, we'd never do that program. No, we'd never treat different people in our neighborhood. We'd never tax them differently. Uh, We would never treat them impartially. We would never make them or compul, you know, uh, make it compulsory for them to do something." And so we do it in government for some reason, and it sounds reasonable and normal. And so often I don't think it is, and and we, we excuse things, tolerate things, and advocate things in the realm of detached government we'd never do in our real life. And I think that's 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 the wellspring of a lot of problems that we have locally and nationally.
0: Well, it seems to me too that a lot of your focus is on something that I know I've got uh, friends that believe that most politics, and I don't know why now locally it matters, but it does more as far as Democrat and Republicans. But most politics is local. They affect my life on a daily basis. National is very important. I'm not saying it's not important because it's all trickle down uh, one well, way or the, the other.
1: National politics is like soap operas for men and women, because there are evil people, there are heroes on each side. There's unique stories. It's covered. It's dramatized. The same stuff could be done um, if there was enough coverage for local things, but we don't. The drama's not built up around it. It's not very sophisticated. And it's we know people, them. people tend, and we know them, and yeah. so it's like. People tune out. um, But hopefully we can bring some attention to some of these things. Because, like, for example, you go look at the the Chattanooga City Council meeting and the county commission meeting and school board meeting and you go to their YouTube channel. Do You know how many people watch those things on average? No.
0: Take take a guess. Well, now that you've asked it, I'm pretty good at when, when questions are rhetorical, but
1: I'll say 100. 23 to like 30. Out of a town, out of a county of four hundred thousand, and so covering that sort of stuff, so we know what's going on, uh, and 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 bringing a distillation of that to people, so they know what their leaders are doing, and keeping up with the delegation in Tennessee, those are things that really matter. And uh, for example, I started working on this stuff uh, about panhandling and trash, and it's just awful in Brainerd right now. I've never seen it like this. I've been there for thirteen years, and. Um, Posted something in in the na- in the little you know neighborhood app. Oh, I saw and then, it. And then, I saw your Facebook post now. And the, and the Facebook app too, and Facebook app, yes, the Facebook. And uh, so I put that in there. And and to her credit, you know, Carol Burr sends me an email. She copies um, somebody in the mayor's office and a uh, and a and the city attorney. Like, what can we do about this? Come like, on they've been solving this these types of problems since ancient rome I'm, I'm happy to dialogue with you about it but you don't need to let them stand on the street and we need to mow the grass and pick up the trash and if we don't have enough money to mow the grass and pick up the trash then we need to fire some people shuffling papers somewhere so we can hire some people that mow grass and pick up trash if you would like me to lay a plan out and a piece of notebook paper for you i can hand it to you i don't it's one of these things, i hate it when people want to dialogue about stuff that You know what the solution to the problem is. Take that problem to your wife and get her to take it.
0: it, it
1: She'll tell you how to handle that. Yes. And so, Alec, I don't. I put it this way: if I can't, if I can't put a keg of beer by the interstate and pass out free beers, and if that's illegal, and if I would get arrested, and if a cop would come pick me up, they should probably do the same for panhandle. I mean, the thing is, like, there's certain things you can't do on the city street, and I bet if I set up a hot dog cart. And tried to make money without a business license, or run a hot dog cart right there at the uh, at the intersection. Of, they'd shut me down immediately. But they won't. They won't run panhandlers off. And it's just completely confusing. So it doesn't help them, and it doesn't. It doesn't help. You know help how this does help. Know, the, the we city. might need
0: to. We might need to start doing a weekly podcast, dude. Because you know the problem with that is when they get out, they're going to leave your community
1: and come to mine. What you're committed? <laughs> run right about. I'm just saying they shouldn't let people panhandle at all on the city streets. If I now I put it this way, if they won't let me run a hot dog stand or sell something there, right? Then maybe I'd be okay. But they won't. They won't yeah. let you. They'll let you do certain things. They won't let you do other things. But the thing is, like, what happens over time? And people are like, oh, this just sounds like homeless heartlessness. You let this stuff go on for a while. You let the streets get dirty. You let the grass be unmowed. You let you let people like, make an uncomfortable environment. People look around and they're like, "I don't want to move here." And then people look around. And they go, "I don't want to live here." Yeah. And then it happened. Basically, you end up with with you know Brainerd Road's got its problems as it is. I've lived there for 13 years. I love it, but we got our issues. And before long, you know Brainerd Road turns into Russell Boulevard, and then it turns into Dodds Avenue, and then it turns into God knows what. We got enough places to fix uh, in Chattanooga now that need help. We don't need to create more places that need help. And a lot of that is quality of life issues. People don't like to hear about it, talk about it. It's a heartless bunch of bull crap. Everybody knows it. And then they act like to bring it up as something controversial. I mean, I guess if you can't think it's controversial, but if you can, you're like, that's a problem. You know what? I'm going to end up watching your videos. Just so you know
0: now, you're going to be in the middle of doing one of your videos, and in the back of your brain, it's going to tickle your little brain back here. And you're going to go. It's a very small brain. But well, it's tiny. It's, we're all tiny brain people. Tiny Republican but, conservative brain. <laughs> very Clinging to your guns and your Bible, dude. But <laughs> Bible, yeah. back back here in the back of your head, you're going to think Clint Powell is talking to the camera right now. I'll be watching your videos talking to you and whoever you're having the conversation with. Right. Well, I'll straight be, to the bottom of the barrel for entertainment.
1: That's all I got to say.
0: Well, no, because these kind of topics, though, I think are what I'm looking forward to on the on the website because I'm ready to hear not only from a conservative perspective. This is, this is I guess, what I'll, I'll wrap it up with this. I'm not ready just to hear the news and the topics that we're missing from a conservative perspective. I'm ready to hear the solutions. Yeah. The solutions. That's, that's well, what I'm ready. We will be
1: talking about yeah. solutions because that's my favorite part. I mean, we talk about at left. But I mean, there's there's things that we can practically do to just to practically fix problems. You talk about common sense. Uh, people are talking about common sense and things of that nature. Oh, I got a good funny story. I'm not going to tell. I can't tell it now um i'll tell it next time i'll try to save it if i can remember it but uh you know it's common sense approach i mean like you know people act like sometimes there needs to be a bunch of dialogue and a bunch of community involvement sometimes like people like leaders just need to like go fix the damn problem before there's a meeting before there's a meeting before there's a committee gathered we know we know what the problem is how about we just go fix it without anybody even knowing and then we won't even have to have a committee and that's what i hope ends up happening with this situation is the council goes yeah we need to yeah, this is probably gonna be a problem. Yeah, we got trash. Are we gonna mow the grass? I mean, let's just go fix it. Let's not even have a meeting about it. Can we have a
0: can we have a Zoom meeting though? Let's have a Zoom meeting about it. That's yeah, not know. a real meeting.
1: That's a Zoom meeting. Yes, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to they said if we were gonna get together about this homeless issue, they're like, We can meet at my office. We follow C D C guidelines. And I was like, Well, why don't we just do it by Zoom so we don't have to all dress up in a damn hazmat suit and I don't have to feel awkward and uncomfortable. It's just whatever you whatever it needs to happen. So we can have this meeting. I don't care where we can. If you do it. have this,
0: if you do have the Zoom meeting, do it from the corner of the street while you're asking for money. I dare you. <laughs> We're trying to get some money out here. I Hold dare on. Ya. To raise right. money for the TennesseeConservativeNews.com, I'm asking cars for money while I'm on with the city council. Hold on one second. You got a dollar for the, that was. <laughs>
1: i'm just kidding now i'm trying to get this in while it's still legal i'm afraid they're going to pass an ordinance well i
0: will say and and that leads to the bigger topic i can't wait to you talk about that because i am uh, a big believer that mental health in the world we live in now just gets neglected on a lot of fronts whether it's you pick the topic i just think as a society we have uh, i've got friends that suffer from 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 some mental health issues and they're not the ones that are assigned to them they're they they have some some issues yeah. well, and there's really some
1: limited places to go with. They have no money. Mental health is a big issue. And the um, I think a lot of it is truly mental health. And then a lot of it is we've got a lot of I think a lot of things just culturally happen in our in our society. And it's weird. I think a lot of it, the deteriorating or disappearing Protestant work ethic. I know people that's going to sound very sexist. I think men and women were, were made to work and to do things. And uh, Alan West, you talked about uh, said something and I saw him speak probably 12, 15 years ago now uh, when I was on the stage uh, presenting for American Majority in Florida, I think it was. And uh, he said, self-esteem comes from doing esteemable things. And it it comes from having a sense of value. And it comes from also, I, I think, a love of country. I think it comes from a love of family. I think it comes from feeling like you're loved and you're in a good place. And there's so much negativism and negativism, and there's so much kind of hatred for things that used to be revered. I think that's created a lot of psychological disorders. And then, you know, you do have—I mean, I come, my family has a, a long has a long line of mental disorders uh, on both sides, as, as is evidenced in my conversation here today. And so, I, I've, I've seen it, uh, so I'm not downplaying it, and I've, 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 watch, I've watched it affect people. So. And I probably got a little bit of it myself.
0: You but know. you know what happens? We when we talked about it, the real problems gets lost in the politically correct problem. That's what happens. The yeah, real problem do. of mental health gets swept swept up in this big wave of we can't have a conversation about hard things anymore. No, so. you're right.
1: But I'm we're looking forward this. to my it. wife my wife is going to wonder where the hell I am.
0: No, nope, I'm done. I said like I'm I'm good, man. It's a, it's an hour and a half. I apologize. All right. Well,
1: dude, I I love it. I've been it's been fun. It's been fantastic. I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I just wish I'd had a beer while we were doing it. Um and so I'll I'll definitely come again. Thanks for having me on.
0: No problem. Best of luck to you dot Tennesseeconservativenews.com. Brandon, I appreciate it, man. I'm sorry I kept you as so long. See you, buddy. Hey, I enjoyed it, buddy. Take care. Bye, right, man. Bye.